Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, the founder of Influencer Marketing and Branded Content Agency, Hollywood Branded. This podcast provides brand marketers a learning platform for top experts to share their insights and knowledge on topics which make a direct impact on your business today. While it is impossible to be well-versed on every topic and strategy that can improve bottom line results, my goal is to help you avoid making costly mistakes of time, energy, or money, whether you are doing a DIY approach or hiring an expert to help. Let's begin today's discussion. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacy Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacy Jones. I'm so happy to be here with you all today. I want to give a very warm welcome to Thor Conklin, who's joining us to discuss his over 15 years of experience as an entrepreneur and consultant. Through his consulting firm, Peak Performance Group, Thor teaches the tools, tips, tricks, psychology, and strategies necessary to be a peak performer. He has started, bought, and sold several multi-million dollar businesses, making him a sought-after resource for entrepreneurs and executives in all stages of business. Today, we're going to talk about how to create a more profitable business and why you qualify as the psychology of success in one word, execution. We'll learn what's worked from Thor's experience, what maybe could be avoided, and where others are missing the mark. Thor, welcome. Thank you very much. Well, I'm so happy to have you here today, and I would love for you to start off and tell all of our listeners a little bit more about you and what got you to where you are today. Yeah, you know, I really need to modify that, uh, that bio because the one piece that is missing is the, uh, the crash and burn. I, I actually uh, burned down one uh, company, and it's really interesting because uh, the, the basis of what we do is profitability consulting because mm-hmm. and you want to get to the next level. You need the profits in order to do that. And execution is a big piece of that. And I had a business that it was actually my fifth business and I couldn't figure out how to make a profit. And I literally had to close the company. Um, Without profits, it doesn't exist. And uh, it's through those lessons, the failures is really the thing that actually gave me the ability to do profitability consulting. I, you know, I joke all the time, like profitability consulting, how'd you end up doing that? I was like, hey, I couldn't figure out how to make a profit. Just don't do what I did. Uh, so that's a really, really big piece of it. You know, I find so often as entrepreneurs and as business leaders, you know, we always want to avoid the failures, but it's those failures that bring us to our successes. It's, you know, when we were born, we really didn't know how to do really much. We could breathe. Uh, but besides that, everything else we had to learn. And I think as we get to be adults, we stop wanting to learn because we don't want to fail. Um, so I'm always uh, encouraging our clients to uh, learn to fail and learn to love it. Well, that is a great philosophy. I mean, if you're not failing at something in life, then you're probably not challenging yourself enough in some direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that is what led you to start your company. Yes. Okay. So was this business number six after business number five? Right after. I mean, you know, once you okay. a company due to no profits, why not start a profitability consulting firm? Perfect. Yeah. Okay. I didn't want, I learned so many lessons through that process that I really did not want to see any other entrepreneur suffer what I suffered. Um, I went through a divorce. Uh, it was not a good time. Uh, my business was failing. It was, it was a really tough time. And I saw a lot of entrepreneurs around me. I'm part of an organization called uh, Entrepreneurs Organization, mm-hmm. worldwide group. And uh, I saw a lot of other entrepreneurs that... On the surface, everything looked great, but right below the surface, um, there was a lot of pain. And I yeah. wanted to uh, take those lessons and, uh, and teach as many people as possible so they didn't have to go through what I went through. That's great. I think that is, you know, within any business sector, 
you're having that with a person who's at the top, who doesn't always have the ability to talk to others and who's shielding a lot from their staff, of course, about what the true essence of their company is if they are having some issues. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, because there's so many people relying on you. Yeah. You got an entire team. You've got their families. There's a lot of people depending on you as an entrepreneur when you have a team behind you. No. Okay. So you started the company and did they just come? Did people say, oh my gosh, I don't know how to make a profit either. Here I am. We totally missed the mark on our marketing. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We were a disaster. So it's funny you bring this up because uh, it was about eight months into the, into the the business. And of course, a, a couple months were actually planning and getting things going. And I remember we were coming towards the end of the year and the team came to about eight months in and said, so, so how are we doing? Is this working? And we had one client. Our total revenues for the first eight months were $1,500. Oh, it was working for your employees, just not for you. Exactly. They were getting paid. <laughs> and they, they said, um, uh, is this going to work? I'm like, of course, this is exactly the way they all start. You know, this is, we're on track. And I remember in private going, <laughs> Wow, I think I missed something. And, and it's interesting <laughs> talking about marketing and positioning. Is I positioned us with people that were like me, that were going through the same scenario, and I was marketing into that segment. I just wasn't getting any traction. And all of a sudden, uh, someone who knew me quite well had a very successful company, and he said, "Thor, he goes, you know, I, I need you to come in. I want you to work with our entire management team." And I want you to take us to the next level. Highly successful company, but we're missing something. We need somebody to ask the questions we're not asking, to see the things we're not saying, hold us accountable, and to walk alongside of us and, and help us pivot as we, we go through this process. And boom. And, you know, four years later, what I find is, you know, our ideal client is making, 72% of our clients make a million dollars a year in personal income. Mm-hmm. Um, and our target market is those entrepreneurs that are making at least a half a million dollars uh, in personal income and have the vehicle to get them to a million dollars. And when we started, you know, I was looking for somebody that had a two, three, four million dollar business that was struggling. They just couldn't figure out how to make a profit. And I thought we would connect on that basis. And that was our market. I was completely off. Well, so obviously you figured it out because you're still here today. Exactly. We, we figured it out. Uh, we, we found our market. We found our niche. And I'm sure it's going to continue to to evolve. Um, you know, I was joking with one member of our team and I said, I don't know if it's us or if it's our clients, but we have like a 70% divorce rate amongst our clients. I'm like, I, I think we have to like, you know, bring that into the mix as well. Why are our clients going through divorces or have been through right. Um, I'm just hoping that the entrepreneur divorce rate is up near the 70s and it's not us. Yeah, that would be a good thing. Yeah, I, I don't want to be known as the guy that causes the divorce. No, no. Yeah. I have a feeling for entrepreneurs, there's enough stress in life that that is probably what the driver is there. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, and it's interesting too, because clients come because of the business, you know, number one. But it's interesting because the things that are affecting their business, in many cases, are, are components of the business. But so often, it's the other three pillars that we work on, and that's the mental health, physical health, and relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not just with spouses, 
but with family, with employees, with vendors, with customers. Um, they tend to struggle in that relationship piece, and those wounds or, or those issues affect them in the boardroom. Okay. It's just the bottom dollar cost of doing business if they don't deal with them. Exactly. Exactly. It can get very painful. Okay. So what is your approach when you bring in a client? How are you addressing these things? How are you helping them get back on track? Yeah. So the thing that we're always looking for is what is that one thing, that root problem? And we'll talk more about this at the end of the uh, the show for each of the listeners. But what is that one one thing? And, and so often, you know, we hear back it, oh, I'm having trouble with marketing. I'm having trouble with sales. I'm having trouble with the team. And when we dig into it, that's really not the problem. That's simply a symptom. And they're trying to attack the symptoms. And what ends up happening is they they resolve that symptom. And then what ends up happening, the virus, the problem, pokes its head up again. And it's this constant battle of putting out fires because they're attacking the symptom, not the problem. Okay. So that, that's what we're always looking for. What is that one thing that if we could fix that, everything else would fall in line? And is it always something different or is there something that's usually similar? It's different in, in every case. That's a, that's okay. a great question. It, it's very um, unique to each uh, particular CEO and, and entrepreneur. Okay. Are there certain buckets that it falls into usually? Um, yes. Um, a big one is boundaries. Um, <laughs> them understanding who they are, what they're there to do, and putting themselves first. And I know this, this doesn't sound very popular or um, politically correct, but what ends up happening so often is that the leader of the organization, uh, one of the things we destroy is open door policies. If you have an open door policy, please stop it today. Uh, that basically says that everyone else's problems, issues, and concerns are more important than what you're doing in that moment. Uh, they don't have boundaries with social media and their telephone and email and people coming into the office. You have a job to, as the leader of the organization, and you need to stay focused, and you need to have boundaries. I, 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 give out, I can't tell you the number of flags. Uh, I have this one client. Uh, I got them flags for all the offices that say busy. And when the flag goes up, that means they're working on something. Do not go in to disturb them. Right. Uh, I put up, um, like, where they have glass doors, put up shades to draw the shade. Because if, even if they had a sticker on the door that said, hey, do not disturb, people would still walk in. And when you allow that to happen over and over again, you're basically putting yourself second and everything that you're working on as a second priority to every deal. Okay. So. is a big one. Okay. Is another big one. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody, including myself, likes to uh, have people leave a company that aren't a good fit. Um, but we tend to hold on to employees much longer than we should. If you think about, if you took every single one of the, the employees that work for you and you just took them out of the jobs and just kind of moved them to the left or to the right for a moment and you had no employees. And then I said, okay, your new job is to find the perfect employee for each of those seats. Now imagine that for a moment. Now, what's the difference in your company? What issues exist? How many things do you need to get involved in now? It's resolved. Mm-hmm. It's the people so often that are driving the results or lack of results or lack of execution. And I'm assuming when you're doing that and you're moving those people out of their seats and now there's empty seats, part of that equation is looking at those people that you just moved, if you would actually move any of them back in again. Right. 
Absolutely, right. Yeah. I mean, how often do we because you don't want to go to find somebody, train them. Um, it, it's not fun. It's not fun at all. It takes a lot of time. And, uh, and what we tend to do also is with great people, how much time do we spend with our great people making greater? Yeah. No, it's the people that aren't responding that we try to keep get build them up, build them up. Yeah. Make your best people and train the heck out of them. Make them exceptional. Okay. Those that are a good fit, train them. But if they can't move along, they're just not going to be a good fit for your company or should not be a good fit for your company. Right. And they're probably not that happy there either. No, no. And they affect everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing like one really bad, bad apple in the bunch because that whole saying, everyone soon starts rotting. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Any other things that are fit in that bucket? Uh, the relationship piece is a, is a big piece. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when things are not good with your relationships um, at home, with employees, with, uh, with yourself, um, you don't show up being the executive, the entrepreneur, the business owner that you need to be. Um, mm-hmm. This is a contact sport. It requires 100% of your energy and, and focus. And that little energy drain um, from things that shouldn't be there uh, can really demolish a company. Okay. Okay. And so what is the next step that you do? How do you start working more so with individuals? You have identified a problem. Yes. Uh, it comes down to execution and accountability. Uh, laying out a very specific plan, uh, an annual plan, whether it's two-year, three-year, or annual plan, and then reverse engineering that down to the month uh, where there's mm-hmm. milestones to be hit each month with accountability, a scoreboard. Uh, we know exactly what's going to be measured. And uh, then weekly, how do we get to the – like, for example, right now when we're recording this, it's the beginning of June. Uh, all of my clients know exactly where they need to be by July 1st in mm-hmm. We're looking at each week, the second week in June, the third week, the fourth week in June, what targets do we need to hit? As long as we're hitting those, great. But many times we're not, so we need to pivot from there. Uh, So it's not about trying to get to the year-end goal. It's about trying to get to this week's goal because we know if we get to this week's, we have a chance of getting this month's. If we get this month's, we have a chance of getting next month. And that's not saying that the individual at the lead, the CEO level, is the one that is being measured on getting the company to all of those points. It's the organization as a whole. Absolutely. You know, account, you've got to drive accountability down within the organization. If it's just the CEO, and that's what ends up happening so often, right? Yeah. It, it, they're the ones lifting, you know, carrying everything, carrying the heavy burden. And you need to have a team underneath you where they're accountable and they have tangible uh, goals to hit each and every month. Okay. And is there a structure you put in place that you think measures best to keeping people accountable? Uh, short ones. Uh, we talk mm-hmm. a lot about micro commitments. Uh, micro commitments are just taking any sort of goal and then making a commitment. Today, you know, I, I always say that uh, let's, let's say you want to get in shape. I don't care what you do tomorrow, but today, just decide for the next 16 hours before you go to bed. I'm going to exercise this way. I'm going to eat this way. And tomorrow I can do anything that I want. Same thing in business. Just decide what you're going to do for the next 16 hours until you go to bed tonight. Tomorrow you can do anything. You don't even have to come to work. You know, But each day make a new commitment to yourself. It's kind of like waking up on what Groundhog's Day, right? That movie. You know, it's just, it's a brand new day. Just do it again. Just make it. We try to do these things. We try to bite too much off. Yeah. Uh, I Last year, I was not a swimmer, not a runner, not a, uh, 
runner, swimmer, biker. And I'm saying, all right, what can I do this year as a big goal? A triathlon. Right. I'm I'm like, no, I'm going to do an Ironman. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. But I had to go 140.3 miles in the race. I actually did two of them within 30 days because my coach told me I couldn't do two in 30 days. So, of course, as a guy, it was like, if you tell me I can't do it, I got to do it. Game on. Game on. Um, So it wasn't about – the race when I was, you know, a year ahead of time or nine months ahead of time doing the training, it was just, you know, it was about that particular lap. It wasn't about the next phase. And I remember in the race, uh, I got to the point where I was doing the, uh, the run and it wasn't about finishing 26 miles. It was about running to that little signpost. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to that, it was like, all right, I made it now. Now let me just set another little goal. All right. Yeah. That little cone over there, another 20 feet. And it was just 20 feet after 20 feet after 20 feet. And before you know it, you end up completing the entire thing. But in business, what do we want to do? We want to go from here to there in one step. Yes, we'd like to make the million dollars next week. Of course. course. So what do we do? We shoot for the moon. Right. In our marketing programs, we invest everything into one thing and just throw throw the whole, you know, store at it. Right. Not a good strategy. Okay. So... What else can you suggest for our listeners to learn from? You know, in, in marketing, one of the things that I found is everyone loves the new buzzword, the new idea, the new thing that everyone's, you know, on board with. I always like to take my clients and myself and my organization and go the opposite way. If everyone's doing that, this doesn't mean it's a bad idea, but I want to spend some time doing things that you're not doing. You know, I remember I had uh, a manufacturing company and had a mentor of mine challenged me. He said, Thor, you know, what if you decided that after your customer bought all this equipment, they went into, it went into nail salons. Uh, it was the pedicure chairs, the pedicure tubs. What if your customers bought the equipment and then in 30 days they didn't like it and they could return it for a full refund? And I'm like, are you insane? You know, it, it, I, what am I going to do with all this used equipment? And he goes, well, do you, are you sure that anybody would actually return it? I'm like, no, but I mean, you know, we're talking $30,000 worth of yeah. equipment on a typical salon. This could get expensive. Or a big warehouse. Or, well, I had big warehouses. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, that was not the problem. So, so he goes, well, would you be willing to try? I'm like, I don't know. I'm kind of scared about this. But I said, you know what? I- I'm going to take a leap of faith. And I did it. And in four and a half years, I only had one customer return the equipment. And it's because it didn't match their salon. So they had it for 20 days or 10 days or something like that. They returned it. Now I had used equipment. I couldn't sell it at full price, right? Okay. So I gave them new equipment. So now I had a set of used equipment and the new one was gone. And I said, you know, and the margin on that was basically 50%. We bought it for 1000 sold it for 2000 So I said, what if I put this in the showroom and I decide to sell it for $1,600. I'll put a little sign. It's been used in a salon for 10 days. It took one day to sell it. So I had a full sale on, on the one sale. Another customer came in and I sold it at, you know, $600 markup on, on each piece of equipment. They were thrilled. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a second, this thing that I was so scared of has actually now turned into an opportunity. And from that, I said, what if we decide it to buy used equipment from the salons. So I put, created a marketing strategy that said, hey, don't, uh, don't know what to do with your used equipment? 
traded in like a car. My team thought I was nuts. What are we going to do with all this used equipment coming in? I'm like, <laughs> we refurbish it and then resell it on the secondary market. They're like, there is not a secondary market. I'm like, well, let's create one. Sure. And There's salon owners who don't have a lot of money. There have to be. Absolutely. And that's exactly what ended up happening. And the funny thing is, is that the, the retail price of the equipment was like $2,600, but it always got sold for $2,000. I mean, that, that was just, everyone just got you down to $2,000 because that's what the market was going for. So I put out some marketing material that said, come on in, trade in your old equipment, just like your car. Prices, you know, $2,600, come in for your pr- trade-in price. So people would come in and they're like, how much would you give us for used equipment? $2,000. No, I gave $600. <laughs> Okay. I gave him 600 bucks. Right. I got right back down to my 2000 that uh-huh. I put out the trade in. Yeah. They don't have to worry about their old equipment. I brought that in, refurbished it, and yeah. I would sell that for six, $800. Right. Became our most profitable area just by doing things differently. Nobody else in the industry did it. Right. So when everyone else is marketing the same way, figure out what your client needs and figure out a way to meet those needs. Go the opposite way. You know, I'm a big, big fan. Uh, now, go old school. I had somebody um, on, the, on my show recently that was a concert promoter. And he said, you know what they're doing? Their biggest, most uh, successful marketing campaign? Flyers on cars. Old school, right? Back in the 70s. How did you find out about concert? You went to the shopping mall and then stuck on your windshield under the windshield yeah. wiper was a, was a flyer. So some of the things that's worked in the past that everyone has moved away from, start implementing some of those. Try those out because they don't have the same crowded, noisy areas that everybody else is shouting. It's like direct mail for businesses. I'm not saying for consumers right now. None of us want more consumer mail. But B2B, direct mail campaigns are starting to show that they really work again because businesses get such little amounts of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, if you're a contractor and you're in the neighborhood, you know, put up a little sign next to the the truck where you're doing some work. We're in the neighborhood. We're giving a special to the neighbors. Knock on some doors. Put out some flyers. Go shake a hand. Talk to someone. Have a conversation. People want to do business with people. No. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, on the marketing, um, get creative. Try it. And if it doesn't work, who cares? Don't go all in. Be smart but try different tactics. That, that's excellent advice. Okay. Was there anything else you wanted to share today with our listeners? You know, we, we talked about the, uh, the, the execution. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when, it, when the rubber meets the road, it's all about the execution. And it's generally things getting in the way. The fires that are burning, the things that are easy to do, the things that we like to do, um, have a plan. Draw out that plan the night before, set that plan uh, on your calendar, and then just run your calendar. Put up those uh, boundaries, uh, stick to that schedule, and knock the things out that are the most important. And just, you know, it doesn't have to get resolved. Just move it ahead 1%. If you took something and you just moved it ahead 1% every single day, you're done in about 70 days with compounding. It's done, mm-hmm. 100% done. It's not about the big move. It's about the small little incremental things. Yeah. Just and, 
I, I actually on Facebook every Monday I talk about my uh, failures within the last week. Getting ready to do, this year I'm not doing an Ironman I'm doing a bodybuilding show. No laughing. Uh, I still have a bunch of fat to lose. I still have a bunch of muscle to put on, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And I'm trying to get to my goals each week and I'm, I'm failing. I'm, I keep missing my mark, but I get on every single Monday and I have fun. I said, you know what? Try it again. I failed, I think six weeks in a row. That's because you enjoyed eating. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I'm still down nine pounds. So you know, at this rate of failure, I'm going to be at my ultimate goal in the next, you know, eight, eight weeks. So I'm making progress. I'm just not hitting what I want it to hit each week. But, right. And each week I end up with more distinctions. If you're not going out, you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. Set the big goals, go after them, fail along the way, learn, adjust, pivot. That is awesome advice. Now, how can our listeners get a hold of you? Or I understand that you have a phenomenal offer that you are extending. Thank you. So uh, social media ev everywhere is Thor Conklin. Website is ThorConklin.com. If you own a business and you're struggling with something, if you send me the biggest issue that your business is struggling with, a 50 word or less email to Thor at ThorConklin.com, I will respond back with a four-step system that will absolutely eliminate that problem or at the very worst, greatly reduce it so it's no longer the biggest issue. This is a personalized email back from me. Uh, it may take me a couple of weeks to respond to all the uh, inquiries, so please bear with me, but I will do that personally. That is very nice of you, and we will include that in the show notes. So all of you listeners, you can visit the show notes, and you will be able to see that information in case you're walking, driving, biking, or doing whatever you might be doing while you're listening. Perfect. Well, Thor... Thank you again. Really greatly appreciate having you on today. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. And we will chat on our next podcast. <laughs>